Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up podcast. Uh, apologies for the brief respite that we had last week, no episode last week. Uh, we, of course, were over in Scotland shooting season two of Tourist Sauce. Um, ultimately, we would have loved for the timing to have been different, backing up to a major championship, but that's the way scheduling goes sometimes. So apologies for the delay in getting this preview out. We are going to get to our conversation here shortly with Shane Bacon. He has not been on the podcast for quite some time. Um, and that's, that's on me. That's on me. He's got, he's busy. He's got a full-time gig and his own podcast, but as one of the original guests and, uh, probably the most recurring, uh, it's good to have him back on. And then on the tail end, uh, we sat down with Brittany Lincecum at the KPMG women's PGA championship, uh, she's playing in the Barbasol Championship this week, the fifth woman to be playing uh, in a PGA Tour event, hoping to be the first to make the cut. Uh, we wanted to talk with her a little bit about that and thought that timing would be great to release that interview during uh, during this week, the Barbasol Championship this week. So um, on the tourist sauce note, we have now five episodes of the series out. They live on our YouTube channel. They're on Twitter as well. Uh, if you guys haven't had a chance to check that out, we have uh, invested a lot of time into this series. Uh, we are thrilled with the way season one has turned out. And uh, based on our shooting and our filming last week, how that went, we could not be much more excited as well for season two. So uh, when you get the chance, check that out. The Metropolitan episode was just released today, which is Tuesday. Um, that that was a really good one. And then we are going to wrap it up with Royal Melbourne. And then uh, the New Zealand two episodes will be the last two to finish out season one. So make sure you check that out. Um, without further delay, here is Shane Bacon. And then af- again, after that will be Brittany Linscombe. It is open week, and as always, our friends at Callaway Golf are delivering the goods. They've got, uh, as usual, they got their slick new limited edition Carnoustie bags, head covers, coins, and uh, of course, I hope you guys saw the video of Phil's crazy flop shot video. Uh, they also have a sign, and they're also doing a signed Henrik Stenson Rogue three wood giveaway. So head over to CallawayGolf.com for all the latest from Team Callaway on the 147th Open Championship. Uh, also known as the UK British Open presented by Her Majesty. And as a side note, I know a lot of you guys have been asking about the Chrome Soft golf balls with the No Laying Up logo that we posted uh, when we took over Callaway's Instagram story uh, in Scotland last week. We are working on making those available to the public, so hang tight. We'll have more info on that coming soon. Now back to the podcast. All right, Bacon, welcome back. I didn't bother uh, actually looking it up, but how long has it been? It has definitely been a long time since you've been back. Oh, man. Yeah, I mean, we did one podcast for uh, the Golfer's Journal, but for you and I to have these types of conversations, man, it is like a throwback. It is. is it, do the people still say throwback Thursday, or is that is that a, that's a thing that yeah, disappeared? I, well, I think it was still a thing back when we actually did podcasts together, so we can... Uh, <laughs> We can just bring back all the all the references. Snapchat, Snapchat's a big thing still, right? I mean, so yeah. popular. I can't believe it's so cool with all the Malins. Um, you were in. I mean, I, I've been working. I don't know if you knew that or not, but uh, I've been like traveling around broadcasting. 
you just got to go play all of the unbelievable courses in Scotland. I mean, are you golfed out or are you like, do you have like the passion and you want to go play like right after we finish up? I'm done playing golf now. Like I don't, there's no golf that can be better than what we just played in Scotland. Um, I've been, this is my third or fourth, I think fourth trip to Scotland playing golf. I've never seen it like it currently is, which we're going to talk about some. Uh, so the, the whole purpose of the trip was a scouting all of the other courses except for the one they're actually playing on right. for the purposes of this podcast. So it was work. Uh, any way you spice it up, really, I don't know how you can really debate it. But uh, it, no, it we're was, doing some filming. I, I hate I hate I hated. I mean, I'm, I love you guys and I hated you guys in the same moment. I was uh, I mean, you know, I mean, listen, I'm, I'm broadcasting golf for goodness sakes. It's not like I'm out there like a dig in a hole. But I was looking at it, and you're like at North Barrick and I'm just like had to put my phone down for a minute. And then you're at Nair and I had to put my phone down for a minute. You're like hitting up all of the places that just bring out everything in me. I've played two rounds of golf in like nine weeks. So. I'm itching to get actually get back out there and get a chance to actually hit a couple of golf shots. Well, yeah, that that was kind of I mean, again, the goal was to see after seeing the summer that they've had up there, how baked out everything is, how brown everything was. We honestly didn't have this thing booked until like a couple weeks before it happened, but we knew that we had to get there based on how the conditions were and oh my god, was it rewarding. But that's that's going to be a separate podcast. We're going to break down all those courses and whatnot. But I want to first hear about, you just did the U.S. Women's Senior Open at uh, Chicago Golf Club. What was that like? Oh my god, that place is so unbelievable. You know, it was it was funny. I saw Andy Johnston. I know our, our good buddy, Fried Egg. And uh, I saw him out on the golf course on uh, Friday, I believe. Uh, we were just kind of cruising around scouting because we, we only did the weekend on the broadcast. And uh he walked over to me and you know how he gets so excited. He's got that big smile on his face and he said, this is, this event is, has brought me back to loving the game. You know, you, you know, wow. he's golf could be such work when you're doing it, but it was, it was such a cool mix of an unbelievable venue. I mean, Chicago golf club is one of those ones that if you have a list of five golf courses you want to play before you die, it's pro- probably going to be on any golf nerds list. And, uh, it's a mix of that. And then just the, the field, I mean, I wrote this on Twitter, but I'd never been to an event and worked an event where people were just so happy to be a part of it. You know, I mean, th- this is something that, that I know, uh, you know, the, the LPGA players that were getting closer to 50 have wanted to have happen for a long, long time with the USGA. And, uh, and I, it was just, it was cool to see the, the passion, not just to compete, but to be involved. And I thought that was, uh, you could, it could really feel that from the players and, uh, you know, it was, it was a good leaderboard. I mean, obviously, you know, the, the cream kind of rose to the top with, with Laura Davies playing so well and Drew Linkster battling to win another USGA championship. But just the feel of that was, was, was really special. And it was cool to kind of bring to TV because, you know, a first ever USGA championship is something that, that you're not really going to be a part of much. So it was a fun week. And, you know, I mean, you, you, you really just don't have to say much and just let the golf course do the talk when you get to, to showcase something that's, that's Rainer City McDonald like that. Yeah, that's what that's what's so cool about the event was kind of bringing to life a golf course that is not capable of hosting a men's championship in any way at, at the at the top level anymore, but is such a important course historically for the history of U.S. golf and still just an incredibly fun and challenging place. And it's such an exclusive place that not a lot of people have ever got to see it before. So hopefully people listening to this got to tune into at least a little bit to see the golf course and see the uh, see the inaugural championship. So, did you get a chance to play it uh, as part of your duties? As no, no? We, you know we we uh, I was I just had Brad Faxon on, on my podcast, that, which just kind of talking about the Open and just kind of talking about Lynx Golf in general. And um, you know we were talking a little bit. You know that I get that question a lot from people. You know, oh man, you must have played it. How was it? And you know our schedule is just packed this summer. I mean, it's back to back to back events. So. 
we don't really have any time to do it, but let me tell you what I do do. I go up to the director of golf and I always am very nice to him and I try to get some sort of a business card for him. And then in three months I can bug the hell out of him to maybe see if he'll let me on a golf course. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good strategy. It's working for you from what, from what I can tell. So, um, all right, switching over to uh, what you're here for, we're going we're gonna to talk about the UK-British Open here, presented by Her Majesty. And uh, I'll, I, <laughs> wait, 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 what was the title again? <laughs> well, is, this how, is this how you're doing it? This is, is this how we do thing? it. This is how we do okay. it. It's got the, the hate for, like, from the, UK, the British people, calling, for us calling it the British Open, has gotten so far that we're, we're tripling down on it and making it as obnoxious as possible and still getting the responses. Hmm, what's that, lads? I've never heard of that championship. Okay. I've heard of of the open before but uh it was funny kind of uh, being in scotland and talking to Pete locals about that last week they're like you are killing us with this it's like guys come on just have a little fun with it no one re- you first of all don't get butt hurt if people actually call it the british open we you know exactly what tournament we're talking about like just be just it's fine no one cares whatever you call our u.s majors just just let it be but it's it's it is what it is i guess at this point yeah, they, they, it, I just have never – I try not to get that mad about anything, and I, and I always get so nervous. Like, do you take the do you take the pressure? I think I've taken the – I think the pressure's gotten to me. I normally just say the open at this point, but I, I like I like the the podium you're standing on. I appreciate it. Yeah, so it's going to be in the title of this episode, and I'm going to go down swinging with it. But it's funny how the <laughs> irony still is, not, is lost on so many people. Like, first of all, what the hell is the UK British anyways? And people still get so confused by it. Like, what? How? Who calls it that? Nobody. That's the point. So, um, all right. So you are two hours behind the East Coast or three hours behind the East Coast? I'm three hours now because Arizona's goofy and we don't change times. So your so coverage comes on at 10.30 p.m. for you. What is your viewing schedule for? So, okay, so let's, let's first, on the East Coast, coverage starts at 1.30 a.m. and concludes at 4. I actually had to, like, Google, like, get multiple sources on that because I thought it might have been a typo in the first place I saw it. What, what, is, what the hell is your viewing schedule going to be? What's an acceptable time for people on the East Coast to wake up and watch the, the UK British Open? So when I was like blogging uh, and I was writing a lot for, for Yahoo and CBS and places like that, I would obviously Tiger kind of controlled a lot of those things. But, you know, if it was a Tiger Phil type of thing, I would get I would stay up a lot. Um, and then you kind of nap during the time when the middle groupings are out there and then you can wake back up. But I'm going to be in uh, actually I'm going to be in New Jersey for the U.S. Junior Am that we're doing on Friday and Saturday on FS1. So I'm actually going to have the benefit of being on the East Coast to being able to get up for that. And then I'm going to be in Denver on Sunday. And uh, and that, of course, on the weekend when that happens, it'll be a little bit different. But last year was the first year I think they went to this crazy schedule. I actually went to a bar at like 1030 p.m. with a buddy of mine and we stayed till two till it closed. And that was one of the most fun things I've done maybe ever when I was watching golf. Yeah, I guess I guess it almost works. It's so bad on the West Coast or West Coast time zone that it actually might be kind of good. So in that regard, <laughs> yeah, hopefully <laughs> East Coast, I think, is actually really a, a struggle. Though. I've been in, in living in Europe for the last four, three years of the of the of the UK British Open and having I've forgotten what this is like. And now I'm like scrolling the list of tea times. What's the first tea time that I feel like I have to see as badly as I want to see Phil tee off at 3.03 on Thursday? I'm looking at that four. 58 with Spieth, Rose, and and uh, Oppie Bonrat uh, as being maybe that's kind of when this thing really kicks off. You think that's fair? I know you probably don't have the T-sheet in front of you, but... 
No, I mean, I, I was I was looking at the times, you know, we were doing the open and then, I, you know, it was kind of a late schedule flight out on, on Sunday from Chicago. So, I, you know, it, it took me a little bit of time to get caught up on kind of what the tee times are looking like. A, the tee times are unbelievable. I love the mixture throughout of the players. But, yeah, I can't believe Tiger goes so late. Is he seeing off at like 3.30 on Thursday? 3.21, I think, on Thursday local time. Yeah. What is that guy going to do? Doesn't he get up at like 5 a.m. every day? He might go out for like another loop somewhere nearby. I mean, but you can tip him off on some of the courses. (laughs) This time of year uh, in Scotland, I mean, there's just so much daylight. I love that they send everyone off the first tee, so they have to spread the tee times out over great periods of time. And uh, you know, yeah, if you don't use both tees, then then that's kind of the the rub of the draw. And I I don't know when exactly the first tee time is locally, but I think it's like six something, and then they go, yeah, into the mid afternoon. So uh, that's part of what makes makes the British Open what it is and what you know this tournament that we've all grown to love and appreciate probably more and more year over year especially you know seeing how many different scores and the number like the winning score is going to vary so greatly so in in 1999 the winning score I don't know if winning is the right word for Paul Laurie and John Vandeville but the score was plus six <laughs> that got in the clubhouse lead uh, Sergio and Padre Carrington went to a playoff at seven under in 07. Have you seen what the over under is for the winning score for this year? I'm looking on a website right now. Do you have it in front of you? It is 14 and a half under par is the is the over under. So it, the course is obviously going to be playing incredibly fast and firm, and it's not the course has not been lengthened really. It's actually playing shorter in 2018 than it did in 2007, and bookmakers are expecting this to be a birdie fest. I'm guessing that has a lot to do with the wind forecast, which the highest wind at any point that is for, forecasted at any moment is 14 miles an hour for a brief hour on Friday afternoon. Now, this is going to shock you, and this is what you tune into this podcast to hear, but uh, weather forecasts in Scotland are subject to change <laughs> at times, but as of now, there's no wind projected, uh, and the course, the ball is going to be rolling forever yet the greens are going to be sound like they are slow and I, I don't know how soft they are but it sounds like everyone's saying the greens are slower than the actual fairways are so we may have a situation where guys are way down the fairway while hitting irons off the tees and are able to wedge into somewhat soft greens on a not very well protected from a wind perspective golf course it might get comically low this week am I okay to say that I think so. I, I, well, I have a question for you. I mean, you just got back. I, I saw some of the places you were playing, and it looked like it's dried out everywhere. Did you feel like the course has played easier for you than when you and I were over there last summer and it was a little bit softer? Uh, easy because there wasn't much wind for us either. Okay. Um, and easy because there was honestly par fives as blasphemous as it sounds, where I'm like 500 yard par fives where I'm taking iron off the tee because if the fairway sits somewhat at an angle, you actually, unless you're able to curve the ball with the angle of the fairway, you can't stop it. Like it will actually just run through the opposite side. So at times I'm taking three iron and laying back to, you know, a mid iron, still a mid iron distance because the three iron is rolling out just maybe getting 80 yards a roll once it's on the ground. But instead of trying to take driver wedge into a par five, the the strategy was to lay further back. And then you can take, 
you know, a six iron from 240 if you need to, because it's going to roll out 40 yards once it lands. So um, it is going to be interesting. And I think this really does. And I know this is this is going to be a popular take this week. This really does suit Tiger. I really think it does. There's going to be very little pressure on his driver this week. And it, the ball is <laughs> the ball is going to roll until it goes into some deep grass or into a bunker. It's all going to be about guys avoiding the bunkers <laughs> off the tee. And nobody is. I mean, I go. I, I know he's not the Tiger of 2000, but going back to the old course where he he did not hit a single bunker, the guy does have experience in crafting it around those bunkers and controlling rollout. And he's always been a fan of firm conditions because he's always thought he's in better control of his ball than everybody else. So, again, it's going to be a popular take, but I really do like this setup for Big Cat. I think so as well. I I, I was thinking about, you know, I've seen a lot of the Tiger takes and, and you know, Hoy Lake and Tiger and Hoy Lake, and this is what it's going to look like. Who is the best example of Tiger now? And, and I know Tiger's playing, but which of these young players do you – is it Spieth that has the – kind of mental ability to figure these courses out before we even tease off on Thursday. I, I'm just, I'm just trying to think of a player that I, is, is it Patrick Reed? I mean, I, I just don't really know the perfect answer for the question, but the modern day quote unquote tiger, and I'm not talking about his game, but I'm more talking about the mental approach before you get going. I think my mind automatically turns to speed whenever a golf course is not, it's not a, re- a prerequisite to be super long for it. Like I don't, Shinnecock just didn't, ring me as like a bomb it's more of a bomber's paradise than say like Burkdale was and I think I know Tron and I went and played Burkdale last that spring and I think we were on the second hole and he turns and he's like this has a very speed vibe to it <laughs> and he went on to win the win the UK British Open so uh I, I was curious I wanted to talk a little bit about speed and kind of I feel like he's a very under the radar defending champion obviously it's not been the best year to date um from a putting standpoint but he is kind of the guy as soon as you started to ask that question he's the guy I turned to to think like a guy that you know is a good player off the tee but doesn't rely on his tee ball for being his strength. His strength is his iron play and approach into the greens. I feel like this kind of setup is actually pretty wonderful for him and, and in that regard. I think I think so too. I, I think you're I think you're spot on in the sense that he seems like nobody's talking about him, which has gotta help him a little bit. I mean, he is a competitive guy where I'm sure when he doesn't see people picking him, I'm sure when he doesn't see, you know, you know, websites saying this is a favorite this week. I mean, I'm sure it lights a little bit of a fire under him if he even needs that. Uh, I, I read KVV's piece on ESPN.com, which was great about Spieth and how, you know, we're a year since his last victory. And, uh, and you know, these are things that these types of guys who seem to have a step up mentally, you know, they think about. I mean, it's been a year since I've won. This is crazy. I mean, Spieth has been a, a champion throughout his career, you know, consistently. So, you know, comes in with maybe a little added incentive to compete. And we've seen glimpses of it. You know, we've seen him play well. And, and, and very well as of late, it's just about stringing it together for four days. So, you know, I always like picking guys that seem to be able to outsmart the field when it comes to these types of venues. And, uh, and as you said, I don't think, you know, distance is obsolete this week. I mean, it doesn't matter how far you get the ball 250 off the tee and you're going to be able to compete on a golf course like this. So, you know, I mean, and, and of course that also, I just want to con- confirm to everyone that we both know that Jordan Speed's one of the best ball strikers on the planet, but you know, I, I, I kind of like his chances. Plus, I asked Brad Faxon this question on the podcast that, that I had was, is is this the easiest major for a bad putter to win? And uh, and I, th- I feel like it is. I mean, the greens are slower. They're normally flatter. And this is the chance to kind of hide that part of your game, if you will, because, you know, they're not these crazy slick, super undulated greens that you have to hit perfect putts to make. I got. I want to ask you. I know this golf course. You and I actually played this course together last. Can, summer. can I say this really quick? Just yeah. the the a good tip to uh, 
all the players in the field, if you're listening, is don't A, book uh, the wrong flight, and then B, have to be driven to the first hole without having hit a shot and having about a 15-hour travel day and then have to rush out. Or was it the second hole? Is that when I met you? You you made it to the first green, I think. I think we gave you Perfect. a par on the first hole. It's just not a great – it's just not a great – I'm just going to say not a great mental approach to get yourself ready for Carnoustie. Uh, yeah, supposedly the toughest golf course in the UK. That was that was your approach to it. I was going to say on the sixth the sixth hole there, the par five, famously called Hogan's Alley for the uh, the angle that Hogan took down it. I, I forget what year at Carnoustie when he won, but uh, all four days, and I think he birdied it all four days. You and I might as well have just placed balls out of bounds and taken like an <laughs> Irish drop up there in the front. We had absolutely no prayer of keep. That is the hardest tee shot I think I've ever hit in golf is the sixth hole, the par five. These guys will make a mockery of it. It'll be super easy. But OB comes in tight down the left side, and I just remember you hit a big fade. It was not; it was the wind was blowing that direction, and we both just popped balls OB immediately on that hole. That's that's the one thing I remember about that day. Yeah, and they had no. I mean, they had no right when they left the face. It's one of those. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it could it could hit two grandstands and still not going to come back into play. <laughs> I mean, that's how far left it was. I'm with you. That hole, I, I've played that golf course twice. That hole gives me fits every time. I can't figure out how you hit a tee shot in the fairway, and then uh, you know it. Carnoustie is so interesting because I do think it throws so many different tee shots at you. And that's what's going to be so interesting with it being dried out is, you know, you have to hit irons off certain tees. And this is when it's playing soft. You've got to hit irons to places and you've got to hit shots, you know, a fade on this hole. And you've got to hit a straight ball here and you've got to kind of try to strategically to draw on this hole. And, and it does that throughout the day. And so I guess with it being dry, everybody's just going to hit long irons all day long. But as you said, that doesn't matter because if you misplace it, it's going to roll into trouble and it, trouble on six is out of bounds. You know, I mean, if you hit a ball and it starts rolling left, I mean, there's a chance it's going to go out of bounds just like on 18. If the second shot's left at all, it's gone. And so it's it's not just going to be strategy, but it's going to be uh, being able to pull the golf shot off because two or three yards at this golf course, especially on that closing stretch. And, uh, you know, you're going to be you're going to be dropping a ball and hitting hit one, try to make double. Carnoustie was the course when I played there for the first time three years ago. It was my first real Lynx golf experience, and it, it, it kind of triggered a whole new line of thinking for me in the game of golf. And that we, I had an excellent caddy that day, and I'm not used to playing with caddies. And and that was uh, I get up to the the third tee. The third hole is like pretty much my favorite hole out there. It's a short par four. It was playing downwind, and it was like a 240 run out to the burn that comes in down the left side. And I reached for three iron, and my caddy was like, "No, no, no, laddie, it's a six. And I was like, what? A six iron off the tee on a par four? Like, why the hell would I? Fine, I'll give me the six, man. I'll hit it. And I hit it, and it rolled out 235, five yards short of the burn. And I, if, if there's downwind on that hole, and I, get, I know these guys will be playing it a little further back, if there's downwind on that hole, guys might be hitting like eight irons off that tee. It's going to be absolutely fascinating to see how guys play, play the tee shots. And I just saw that uh, something come through the golf channel is going to have uh, – kind of a ground top tracer of some kind, tracking balls uh, as they roll out and how far they're going to roll out and everything. Uh, my first question to you is not, where the hell were you on that one, Fox? But uh, <laughs> but no, that that's like a gr- excellent use of technology to kind of emphasize on what, what we're about to experience this week. Because I don't think we've experienced anything like this similar in, since 2006 at Hoylake. Yeah, and, and, and with, you know, I always say with A, the te- as you mentioned, technology, and, and B, you know, the HD, uh, uh, you know, Abilities. I mean, when you when I watched you know Sergio Padrick replay the other day, I mean, it's just so crazy what it looks like different now. So to see a golf course this dried out, playing this firm and this fast with the technology that that's allowed these days, 
you know, it's going to be, I mean, it's going to be must watch TV to me. I mean, I, I, I just can't wait to get up in the morning and see, as you said, the types of shots that are hit and the types of trouble that guys get in. There's going to, and that's the other thing, guys are going to get so frustrated because they're going to hit a five iron and it's going to go 295. And they're going to be going, wait a minute, how did it roll in that bunker? Because, you know, they're just not used to it. So it, it, I like the guys that played last week a little bit. I mean, you know, when you're looking at favorites, I like, you know, the Ricky Fowlers who got a chance to play in this last week and understand what the conditions are going to feel like. And, uh, and I think. It sure smells like a European victory to me. I, I just feel like there's so many guys on that that with that flag flying that have been playing such good golf lately that um, I feel like maybe the the American domination in the majors could end uh, could end at Carnoustie. What are some of your favorite things about the Open Championship as a fan? Well, you know, it's over here. It's the getting up early. I, I mean, I love Lynx golf. It's my favorite type of golf in the world. I mean, I just think. Uh, I think uh, par's obsolete, just depending on the wind. I think club selection's obsolete. I think the idea of um, a, how far your stock seven iron goes is just something that you completely throw out the window when you go play. And this is anybody. I mean, this is a twenty handicap, a ten handicap, or Dustin Johnson. And uh, and I just love the the fact that every day can be different. I mean, I always go back to Rory McIlroy when he shot sixty three at the old course and he goes sixty three eighty. You know, it's the same golf course, and uh, and it was just completely different conditions. And when it switches like that, a golf course that is completely playable for these guys and really a par 65 or 67, you know, completely changes into a brutal, brutal test. So, you know, if the, you mentioned the wind, I mean, if the wind does pick up one day and, and shocking, the meteorologist could be wrong. If the wind picks up, Carnoustie could play like Carnoustie again. And uh, and I think that's what's exciting about it. And, you know, the traditions of it. The, the golf courses they're played on, you know, you, you know the holes. I feel like on almost every road of golf course that they play. And uh, it's just, you know, when you go to Scotland, and I know you just got back, when you go to Scotland and you play golf and you finish a round, every single person wants to go back out. You know, it just, it, it's just a, it's, it's a love that I don't know. I feel like every golfer's got when they get a chance to play it. And, uh, and obviously this is the, one of the few chances we get to see it played over four days on one of these golf courses that we all want to go over and play. God, I can't wait to just watch the dust fly up from the fairway when these guys are stinging <laughs> irons from it. it. It really does just like ring in your loins. Like the, you, you had trouble describing it there and I have trouble describing the feeling of, of like compressing the ball off that turf and watching it fly. And even when you're into the wind and you get a shot just rejected by the wind because you chose the wrong club by about two clubs and it goes, I watched you hit a six iron from 82 yards at Ely last year. And it was going backwards by the time it got to the green. And there is not one part of that that is exaggerated. That was the windiest day of golf I think uh, either of us have ever played, uh, but also maybe one of the most fun. But um, I want to – is it time or, or I guess I want to comment on this too. I always love – and JT made some remarks a couple weeks ago about how uh, how classy and how solid the fans were at the French Open and cheering for shots that ended up 40 feet away. It got – it spiraled into something that I don't yeah, you think got yelled it was. At. Yeah, a little bit. But I do honestly – love the galleries at at the open championship for their appreciation for good golf shots their appreciation for a good tee shot and there's nothing british people love more than a great lag putt from 40 feet i mean they would prefer <laughs> you to roll it up next to the hole than than to have it go in they are so appreciative of that and uh, i always do it and you won't hear any get in the holes or baba buoys or mashed potatoes so he was definitely definitely on to something as he was saying that and that's just always something i 
on joy is that the house is dark, the sun hasn't risen yet, and you just hear that ra- raucous applause for just a very regular golf shot is something I've always always loved about the Open. And, uh, man, I'm super pumped for this. So um, we have to uh, we got to do our draft. I think this is as good a time as any. And we have to acknowledge you won the U.S. Open one, and I still owe you. I believe we settled on that I have to drink the pickle slushy from Sonic. Is that right? Yeah, we we screwed up. We didn't we didn't do uh, we didn't do what the loser was going to do before before about halfway through. And I it, I think halfway through we both kind of realized that I was going to win. I think a couple of your guys were already pretty much ejected on the way out. So maybe this time we'll do it because I didn't want to go with like the meanest thing anybody said because that's not very fair. Two rounds in. Um, and I thought the the slushy sounds just gross enough to be appropriate. Well, I owe you a ton of. Uh, back when I was abroad, we always would make some a bet <laughs> based on some food item that just didn't exist over in Europe, which was some terrible thing from Arby's or KFC. And I never got to settle those bets. And I I actually hate pickles, so this is actually an appropriate punishment Perfect. for me to have to have to drink this pickle slushy. The runner up for our uh, prize, the next best one, which may have been just too hard to facilitate, was going to be this, the loser had to run a five. K with a push cart. I thought that was fantastic. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm worried about my ability to actually run a 5K at this moment, so um, I'm not positive how that would have worked out for me, but uh, we'll, we'll open it back up to the listeners and followers. Uh, if you have ideas for what the loser will have to do for our Open Championship bet, uh, we're all ears. We'll, we'll make that happen. So um, We have five categories. I, I listed them out. I threw this out. Low Brit, Low American, Low, and oh, to clarify for Low Brit, that is the island of Great Britain that does not include okay. Northern Ireland. Okay, um, Low American. So, so no, so no, Rory. Okay. Correct. Perfect. No, no, Graham McDowell. Uh, low American, low Open champion, uh, low player from outside the world top fifty, and low player not from an English speaking country. So you can decide as the previous winner: do you want to go first or second? Well, I haven't really thought about it, and I always screw this up. So. Um, you know, I'll be a gentleman. I'm going to let you go first. Okay. So the low Brit, again, from the island of Great Britain. This does not include Northern Ireland. Uh, I am going to go with Tommy Fleetwood. Okay. I will see you, Tommy Fleetwood, and I will raise you a fellow by the name of Justin Rose. Yeah, that was that was kind of an easy easy opener. It's one of the two that you're going to choose from. So, And then uh, is it low American? Is that what you're saying? Yep. Snake draft. So you get low American up next. <laughs> snake draft. Uh, <laughs> Oh my goodness! I'm gonna go Ricky. I keep picking Ricky at every single major. For goodness' sakes, he's got to some at some point potentially win it. I think it. I think he's got a great chance this week. But I literally think you could probably find the soundbite for me saying that at the last twelve majors. <laughs> hey, keep going. It's gonna it, actually the first one that you don't say it is the one he's gonna actually win. So, uh, all right. Despite uh, despite the re- the recent form and the struggles this year on the putting, I'm gonna take uh, I'm take the defending champ. I'm gonna take Spieth. Wow, nobody going nobody would go with Dustin and you had the chance to go oh, Dustin God. Jordan back to back and you screwed it up. I did screw it up. See, I'm playing I'm playing the game honestly. But the next pick uh for low open, uh <laughs> open champion, I can take uh I could take the the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Roy McElroy. I mean You forget that he wins the well, he won the open, didn't you? I know. And you know, here's the deal about the guy. You know, we both love him. I mean, he's great, dude. He's an unbelievable fella. I got a chance to chat with him at a bit at the U.S. Open. And, I mean, there's just no professional golfer like Rory. I just, you know, I don't I just want to see him make, you know, like a 15-footer. You know, I mean, it's just the putting's been so rough this entire season, I feel like, that uh, I don't know. I just, uh, I don't I don't see it this week. 
Uh, I'd love to see it. I'd love to see him win a major. I mean, it's been so long, but um, you can have Rory. I'm very happy you took that. The issue here is that my, my selections are pretty pretty weak after Rory when you look at Open Champions because you took speed. I could go Phil. I could go Mr. Henrik Stenson, uh, who has been injured, I believe. Um, man, brutal. I'll go Mickelson. All right. He's yours. And then uh, then you get a low player from outside the top 50. Now, this is where it gets fun. These are my favorite ones. Um, you, you, you think back to St. Andrews and you think about the way that our man, Zach Johnson won. And you look at this golf course and you think, doesn't this feel like he could do that again? Not necessarily win, but I feel like he could get himself in the conversation. Um, so I am going to go with Thomas Peters. (laughs) I thought you were going to go for it. I'm going big cat. Are you kidding me? You're leaving me the cat. You can have them. You, right. you took them. You, t- you took them last time. I'll give you that. I I I was looking at the the number before, and I saw them hanging right around there. And then I looked two above them and went, "Oh, Thomas Peters is 69th in the world." I'm in. Perfect. All right, low low person uh, from not from an English speaking country. I'm going with Henrik Stenson. Okay, I'm going to go Alex Norn. Oh, leaving Rom on the table. Okay, that's going to be really some major salt in the wound if Norrin wins, and that's what uh, that's what that's what pushes you over <laughs> over the edge in the in the match. So, were you were you were you leaning towards Rom? Uh, I just I, I I just went with the pedigree with Stenson. I mean, he's got uh, he's obviously won here won the Open Championship before, so much experience. And I don't, Rom is is I don't want to say his game is based on distance, but he's a bomber, and I just don't think that's going to be necessarily an example. Um, or example, an advantage this week, uh, and I think Stenson with the with his irons and three wood and whatnot in play, I think he he should play very well this week. So I would have taken him. Just Rom is incredibly talented. I think sometimes during these events that aren't necessarily based on distance, we can find ourselves talking ourselves out of the top the guys that hit it really right. far. When in reality, they are equally as skilled, if not more skilled, than a lot of players that even don't hit the ball as far as them in other aspects of their game. So I, I tend to just not, just because a course is going to play shorter, I don't try to eliminate the longer players from it because uh, the, the the longer players that are the top players are still the top players for other reasons than they hit it really far, if that makes sense. You, you know who I feel like we always leave off in these things? And I know coming off Shinnecock Hills, it's, it's easy to say it, but... It's crazy that nobody ever talks about Kepka in these majors. He finishes in the top twenty every single time. Yeah, <laughs> I don't have an explanation. He spent for time it. across the pond. Obviously, yeah. I mean, he 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 grew up playing on the European tour. I just feel like we look at the names and, and you hear. I mean, the, the sexy picks this week. You know, you get a lot of Molinari picks. People love Tommy Fleetwood. Um, you know, you can go through the Rickies and the, and the is this Justin Rose's week to win an Open, but. I just feel like Kepka is one of those guys that at every major he's competitive, and and you just look at the numbers for goodness sakes, and uh, a little bit like Dustin, you know, you see Dustin World Number One, you're like, I mean, I could pick Dustin, but I mean, that's no fun, right? And it's instead of just picking the guy that continually is 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 told is told to us he's the best player in the world. Yeah, no, I uh, I, I don't have a reason for not putting him on the on the squad. I think maybe only one would be, can you really bet on him? You know to succeed in back-to-back majors but yeah he has proven that so hey i I never win these things anyway so maybe that's why i I don't have kept (laughs) on my team so um all right any uh any other parting thoughts here shane before we uh before we flip it over Uh, we have an interview coming up here with Brittany lincecum that we're uh, topping on to the end of this but uh, any other parting thoughts for the open championship week no i'm excited i mean I, i we get to do the u.s junior am in the afternoon on friday and saturday on fs1 so 
Um, I'll still be able to get up in the morning and kind of see what's happening. And then Sunday I'll be laying in the hotel bed, uh, taking, you know, like you said, every second of it in because, uh, as an American, when you get a chance to watch it in the morning, it's just, there's, there's no things like it. That's for sure. There's no, uh, you know, you just can't compare it. It's, it's like being over there and watching the U S open because you get to watch it at night and you get to go to a pub and you watch the the winning putt at like midnight and there's a, and it's an unbelievable thing. So uh, it'll be fun, and uh, and hopefully these guys play the sixth hole better than you and I did. <laughs> uh, we can promise that that will be the case. So, Shane, good to have you back, buddy. Uh, enjoy the U.S. Junior Am this week, and uh, yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully, you'll be getting some good ideas for the, what the loser will have to do from this bet from the listeners. So, cheers, crack on. All right, thanks again for the time. And as mentioned in the beginning, we're now going to turn it over to our interview with Brittany Linsicum. All right, Brittany, we are here at the KPMG Women's PGA Championship. You are playing this week in what, by my count, is your 59th major championship. Does that sound right? (laughs) (laughs) Has anything changed in your process now and how you prepare for a major? Um, I think just course management. Um, my first couple years on tour, I had my dad and it was, let's just hit driver everywhere, which I love, but obviously that'll kind of get you in trouble a little bit with runouts and, uh, carries or just being too aggressive. So now just, you know, being my 14th year on tour, um, just learning course management and, and where to miss it, where not to miss it. And, um, just hitting it in the right spots and leaving yourself an, an opportunity to get it up and down, I think is, is the biggest thing. It works out here for driver with uh, how wet it is right now, huh? It is. I think every hole out there we've, we hit driver on, which is great. I love uh, hitting my driver. You know, last week's tournament, I only got to hit driver two times during the whole entire round, which is my strength. So this week, um, the course is a little bit wet right now. I hope they play it as long as possible, and, um, you know, it should fit into my advantage. Who coined the nickname Bam Bam for you? Where did that come from? Because you're known for your your driving distance. So where did that where did that uh, nickname come yeah, from? Yeah, it's actually a really funny story. Look, the gist of it is, is two different players on tour think that they both made it up. So, um, <laughs> so fight I think for it. it went. Angela Stanford uh, said it was because I hit it far. And Christy McPherson said they gave it to me because we were in Vegas uh, playing craps and rolling the dice. And um, every time I rolled, they were like, bam. So uh, (laughs) it's just funny who you ask, but obviously I hit it far. So bam, bam is kind of fitting and it's on my golf shoes and super fun. Are are you the longest uh, hitter in your family? Oh, yeah. Well, that's a lie. (laughs) My husband obviously hits it far. I forgot <laughs> forgot about him for a second. Um, yes, he does outdrive me, but when he misses one a little bit and I do outdrive him, you better believe that's going on social media. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> You're letting the world know about it. Well, tell, exactly. tell us the story of how you guys met and how you guys came to be a couple. Here we go. Back to Vegas again. <laughs> um, yeah, um, he used to compete in the long drive championships, and their biggest one as of a couple years ago was in uh, Mesquite, uh, Vegas, and um I had never been. I was coming back from Korea, and I have always wanted to go to see those guys hit it super far. And so I changed my ticket, went for two days, and um, we just kind of met and, and exchanged phone numbers and just were chatting a little bit. And then a mutual friend, he's from South Africa, uh, a mutual friend was like, we should go to South Africa. And I'm like, I am not going halfway around the world to go meet a boy that I had <laughs> met for two days. So uh, literally like a week before the flight left, I booked a ticket, and the rest is history. <laughs> You, you booked a ticket to South Africa. To South Africa. Yeah. What was wow. South Africa like? Amazing. I've been four or five times now, and uh, Cape Town is obviously stunning and, and super beautiful. And um, obviously, being an American, our dollar goes super far over there, so you get treated like royalty, which is amazing. And uh, being on the water, and then it's like 
kind of like Hawaii with water and mountains, and it's just and so the city pretty. right there. Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. Can, the views from the hike up the uh, Lion's Head and all that mm-hmm. are incredible, and then the the beautiful beaches are right there, but. The water is uncontrollably cold. Like, you can't even go in it. It is. I love fishing, and um, I've always wanted to swim with the sharks, and I literally put my foot in the water, and I I was like, there's no chance. I mean, even with two wetsuits on, I don't think I could have gotten the water, which is super unfortunate, because I hear that water is that temperature all year round. So it wasn't like, oh, we went at the wrong time. I'm just going to have to grin and bear it one of these times, because that would be really cool to swim with a great white. (laughs) Yeah, I was there, and it was 95 degrees, and I was like, all right, I got to cool off. And then you went in, and I couldn't even get above my knee. It was so cold. body was going numb my legs were going numb but so you're quite you, you fish a lot where do you where do you guys live now uh kind of around tampa st pete florida okay. um yes we have a boat um i think my husband was going out today uh it's just so fun to be on the water i love deep sea fishing because i you just never know what you're gonna see um you know dolphins or turtles or we catch barracuda sharks goliath grouper like we catch like the biggest i want to catch the biggest thing possible he wants to catch something that we can eat for dinner um so it's kind of a toss-up of what we fish for that day but um when i'm home we go probably twice a week i mean it's it's we go quite a bit i i need you so i recently moved to jacksonville hmm. um and, and out by the water a couple months ago and i've taken up uh stand-up paddle boarding oh fun and so there's some mornings when i'm out on the water uh usually with with our other guy who's not here this week dj and we see various you know dolphins and whatnot but one morning you know we see these fish jumping it's like i i need i need a guy there to like tell me what i'm i'm looking at um but i am kind of nervous about the sharks <laughs> i'm not gonna lie and, oh yeah and they're like this they're they're the small ones though aren't they i mean yeah have you, you had any encounters on the i mean you, you fish for them but mm-hmm. are you ever out on the water uh at other times and, and have any encounters with them uh we went out uh last monday before the tournament i went fishing i flew in a little bit later uh we went for tarpon and on the way out we saw probably an eight foot uh bull shark i believe it just kind of like was just under the boat like they're literally yeah. the swimmer people in the water don't understand like anytime you're in the water there's a there's a shark probably within 10 20 yards of you like um they're, this they're yeah they're is this helping no this is not helping i hear though that they're equally afraid of you as you are of them and the, okay. the people that get uh shark bites you know it's just total accident you've either jumped on him or or just wrong place wrong time kind yeah. of thing maybe so um but yeah, I don't, I mean, we chum the water trying to catch the biggest thing. So I wouldn't recommend jumping in there, but um, <laughs> yeah, paddleboarding, sure, you'll sure. be all right. Okay. How big are the Goliath grouper that you fish for? I think the biggest one I've ever caught, obviously I can't weigh it. Um, they say you can take a measurement and then like wrap a measure tape around it to like, kind of get an idea. Mm-hmm. But I was told it was about 400 pounds, Holy which smokes. I mean, I can't do it by myself, obviously. Yeah. Like somebody has to hold kind of the, the rod and like we kind of raise up together and reel down together and um the long drive champion yeah (laughs) now i'm seeing the the tie here but when they come up i mean they're so prehistoric and and just a really i think it's a beautiful fish i'm sure some people think oh man it's ugly but it's just so cool that's amazing it sounds like you'd rather spend a day out in the water fishing than you would at the golf course (laughs) don't tell my sponsors but yes (laughs) no one listens to this podcast it'll be fine so now, what is kind of, you know, in this uh, phase of your career, I mean, at 32, first of all, you're our age, but um, so we don't want to, con- we don't want to say that you're not, that we're not young anymore. Right. We still believe we're young, <laughs> but you're past the median age on the LPGA tour. But what is, what is, I guess, your, how strong is your motivation to continue to, with the grind of, uh, of playing professional golf? 
Yeah, I mean, the competition um, is like no other. Uh, being in contention on a Sunday, um, I mean, there's really no feeling like it or playing on a Solheim Cup or playing in a major. Uh, it's more the travel that I think wears you down. Like, even going last week from Arkansas, I had to go do an outing in Newark. I mean, I was delayed four hours. Like, it's just, and we got diverted to Pittsburgh. And I mean, it's just a mess. So I think it's more the travel of anything that kind of wears on you. Um, but now we've been married. My husband and I've been married for two years. I'm um, going to be three in December, so we're going to start a family here soon. So that'll be interesting to see, um, you know, how that all plays out and how traveling with a child is. And uh, I'm one that needs ten hours of sleep at night and a two-hour nap every day, so oh. I might be in trouble. How do you get that out yeah. here? I mean, oh, I do. Man. You? Today, early day. I mean, after this, I could go take a nap. Unfortunately, I have to get my nails done today, so <laughs> I might not get the nap in. But um, yeah, I, I love sleep, so that's going to be a problem. Do you consider yourself? Are you more? Are you very technical with your practice? Are you track man? Are you more of a field player? Field player. I for know sure. the answer to this, but that's why I'm asking. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, you know. Um, yeah, it's just the way that I've always done it. You know, I love to play it. I'll go out and play 18 holes every day. That's fine. But you will not find me on the driving range or probably even the putting green uh, for more than five, 10 minutes. You know, I, I obviously warm up a little bit before I go out to play. Uh, tournament rounds, I go through my normal uh, practice routine. But on a non-tournament day, it's very minimal practice and I'll just go on the golf course. It's just easier to visualize everything out there. And obviously you have a fairway and you got targets and you kind of work things around uh, different things and um, so when I'm home, I'll, I'll play, but most times you won't find me on the driving range. That speaks to my heart. I, <laughs> I, I, I hate going to the driving range. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm curious. I, I, I read you were quoted, and I, I don't know the source, forgive me, but essentially that you know most weeks out here on the LPGA Tour, you're almost playing a par 68 mm. because of your length. You can get to, you know, assuming there are four par fives. And I was just curious if, if you think that you know, we hear so much about distance on the PGA Tour, and, and I feel like it's kind of maximized a little bit. Like, you know, there are incremental gains in distance to be had. And I'm just curious what your sense is with distance on the LPGA Tour, whether it's close to being maximized now or if we're going to see a wave of younger players that, you know, come onto the scene hitting at 270 plus um, like, like you do. Um, I think it's probably the same. Obviously, we have a lot of uh, Korean Japanese players, and I think they're just not as big. They're all mm-hmm. they're all kind of like around five feet and 120 pounds. So I don't think the length will get much bigger. Obviously, American players uh, were a little bit bigger, <laughs> taller anyway. So maybe some of those. But I feel like it'll probably be about the same. Um, I feel very lucky being one of the longer hitters because I can take advantage of of more holes and more shots. You know, even if I hit it in the rough, I still have a pitching wedge into the green, which is uh, a lot easier than some girls hitting, you know, six, seven irons. Um, But yeah, I think it'll probably be like the same. I mean, those PGA guys hit it so far though. Wow. Well, that's what I feel like on the LPGA tour. It's not as beneficial to hit it very far as it is on the PGA tour. Do you agree with that? I agree. Yeah. Our, our courses, I mean, most times if you can hit it 240, 250 down the middle, that's really all you need. And um, obviously putting is, is another huge part. I mean, the girls that make putts, uh, 30 footers every now and again, that helps. Um, but yeah, it, um, this week, obviously being a major week in the U S open week, um, it definitely helps hitting it further those weeks cause they play it longer, but most of our courses are under 6,500, which 
the 240 250 hitter is perfect so it turned uh, if you're saying that uh, your distance here doesn't necessarily fit the LPGA tour now you're moving on and you're going to play a full PGA tour <laughs> schedule now. Is, it, is that is that, is that what you're trying to tell us um, how did this come about you're going to be playing in the Barbasol championship which is the event opposite the open championship here mm -hmm. in the coming weeks so how did this come about and uh were you is this always something you wanted to do yeah so the owner of Barbasol pure silk Tom Murray came to me literally just a couple weeks ago and he was like hey I have the sponsor invite uh, would love for you to take it. And I was like, wow. Like, it, <laughs> I mean, it, it has crossed my mind. Like, I thought it would always be cool to do. You know, obviously, mm -hmm. I watched Annika and Michelle We do it. But um, never in a, a million years did I think I would actually have the opportunity to do it. Um, so when he came to me, you know, obviously, I talked with my agent, my husband, my family, Caddy. Um, we talked about it with the PGA Tour to make sure there was no negatives. Like, um, just to make sure it was maybe the right thing to do in my career, my time. And uh, there was really no negative. So uh, my caddy, you know, was trying to calm me down because I'm so nervous um, to play. So she was like, there's 70 some other guys going to miss the cut. Like, you're not going to die. Nobody's going to kill you. You're going to be OK. <laughs> We're going to make it through, you know. Um, so just kind of going into it where obviously I'm not comparing myself with the guys. I think I can learn some stuff from the guys. I love, you know, I was with Trevor Immelman on uh, Monday at an outing. And just when he was giving his clinic, I, I wish I could have like videotaped it because he had so many good things to say that I feel like I could use in my own game. Um, so just maybe play a practice on with some of those guys and kind of watch their course management or, you know, see how they chip and putt. Maybe, maybe I could pick up a few things, but I'm excited, but super nervous. What's the reaction been like? Have any PGA guys reached out to you? Um, no, unfortunately, none of them yet. But everybody on the LPGA, like, I didn't know if they even, like, had heard or knew. But every time I go through the locker room, I mean, the girls are just like, congratulations. That's so cool. I'm so happy for you. You're going to kill it. If anybody can do it, you can. Because just I have, like, a very relaxed attitude and uh, just kind of take it one shot at a time. Just going to try to have some fun with it and not take put too much pressure on myself. And I played with Michelle Wee last week. And I was like, hey, you know, can you give me some advice? And she was like, man, that was so long ago. I don't even hardly remember. And I was like... <laughs> man, that's not really helpful. Um, but I did just get Annika's number. And then uh, another gentleman, Aaron Barber, who played with Annika that week is uh, my financial guy. So I'm going to call him and see if he can give me even like an outside perspective of mm. uh, maybe what, what he was feeling, what the gallery was thinking. And uh, I don't know, this is going to be fun. It's interesting that you talk about nerves in that regard, because really it is just kind of a one week thing. And mm -hmm. no one has any major expectations, I wouldn't say for you, but you think you'll be more nervous for that week than you will be to play this week. I think so, just because yeah. this week it's all on me. This is my it's job. It's routine, yeah. And then now going into the men's event, it's like a Solheim Cup or something. You know, I'm representing my tour. I'm representing women. Nobody's ever made the cut, so everyone's like, man, you're going to be the first person to make the cut, you know. So um, it's just a little extra pressure than normal. Uh, and they still don't, haven't told me what the yardage is going to be. So um, concession is a course at home down in Bradenton, Sarasota that I've been at uh, last week trying to prepare a little bit uh, it's just over 7400 and assuming it's firm and fast and we don't get rain it's not going to be that bad you know that when I played uh, last week at home it, it was manageable I hit maybe eight hybrids more than I normally would but um, just praying for no rain I guess hmm. is there anyone you want to in particular seek out for a practice round or anyone you'd like to well, I just saw on Twitter that Davis Love signed up uh, to play. That would be really cool to yeah. play a practice round with him. And Martin Pillar, obviously, Drina's husband, I, I know pretty well. So um, he more real, realistically would probably be the only person I would know to be like, hey, will you play a practice round with me? So, um, but yeah, it is, I hope they're... They know that I'm not coming in there to, to prove something or to, you know, to match up our games or anything. Hopefully somebody will invite me to play with them maybe, and that'd be cool. 
I think the barrier has been broken down at least with previous <laughs> players. I mean, I, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing it. And if anyone would even think of having a bad attitude about it, I really wouldn't understand. I'm coming it. back on the podcast. That's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you kind of touched on it, but is is the prep any different? Like, is it something that you know? Obviously, we're at a major this week, and and that takes precedent, rightly. But you know, after this week, is it something that's going to come to the forefront of your mind, or have you done anything out of the ordinary uh, prior to this? No, I just played the the one long golf course uh, last time I was home. But um, like I said, the par fives won't be reachable. So just keep it in the fairway off the tee, lay it up to a good number and make birdie the old fashioned way. Um, like I said, I had also had eight hybrids, which was, you know, different than what I'm used to. So I definitely need to work on that club a little bit and then probably will miss a couple more greens than normal. So just maybe a little bit chipping. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's like we said earlier, I don't really practice that much, so <laughs> I'm not going to really put too much extra effort into it. I actually have a pro-am on that Monday, so I don't even get in town until like 11 PM Monday that week. So, um, probably going to play nine holes Tuesday and, and hopefully get in the pro-am on Wednesday and, uh, just kind of take it from there and see what happens. You mentioned your sponsor, Pure Silk, and I was just curious. You've won their event now, back-to-back mm-hmm. years. Are they are they setting the course up for you specifically <laughs> down there? How does that keep working out that way? Yeah, you know, it's uh, I love fishing, so I think the Bahamas being on the water, I literally just stare into the water all day, and it's just so beautiful. It's so blue. Our water in Florida is not that color. No. Um, so I think just kind of being there and obviously good memories from the previous year. So I went this year. You know, it's just good memories, and uh, it's a very special place. Do I want to hear about the play this year, the finish this year, which was in the dark. When what was the moment when you when you couldn't see any for any further? Oh gosh, eighteen for sure. You know, um, but it's on seventeen. You hit the green, and the mics pick you up, saying, "I can't see it. Where is it?" Yeah, thank goodness we all hit the green, right? Because that's a very challenging hole. Um, So thank goodness we were all on the green and just had putts to make, uh, so we could help get to the next hole faster. Cause all three of us had flights the next day and we did not want to have to rebook flights or change flights. So, um, 18 was super dark, especially the, so I hit it left in the rough and then just lay it up. But I must've had a lot of adrenaline cause I hit it probably 20 or 30 yards further than I wanted to. I was trying to get to my favorite, like 80 yard number. And I think I was like 65 or something. Um, and I was in a divot. So I'm in a divot on the green, like chipping up there. And I, the pin looks like if you go over it at all, it's like going off the green. Um, cause, and then they had a light, but it apparently ran out of gas. Like by the time we got up there, <laughs> so they had the, the <laughs> like floodlights on the left side of the green, but yeah. the pin was back. Right. So it really was doing nothing for us. Um, so yeah, it was just a, a crazy, um, I was just hoping cause I don't look at leaderboards, but I knew what everyone in my group was doing, obviously, cause we had played the whole day together. So, um, I was just kind of praying like if I chipped it up there, made par and got out of there, I was still going to be on top. And, uh, but yeah, it was, it's funny cause the cameras too make it look so much brighter than what it actually was. Um, when people were sending it to me on Facebook and social media and I was like, golly like that is not what it looked like when i was out there that's our favorite <laughs> whenever they come on the air and say no it's much darker than our cameras yeah. make it look but i we've heard you and kind of doing the research for this talk about uh you, you seem to talk about nerves a lot and always mm-hmm. be addressing the fact like being very honest about when you are nervous <laughs> Have, has that always been the case like as do you see as you get further in your career times you get less nervous when you're under pressure or Absolutely not. No, it's the same not at all. as what it was my first year to now. And I've tried talking to like Julie Inkster about it. Obviously, she's been out here a long time. And she was like, if you're not nervous, you're not human. Like, right. obviously, it still means you care and you're trying to do your best. So it probably takes me three or four holes um, to calm down before I can kind of like get in a rhythm and, and start like hitting good shots and making good swings. Like every round? Every round, yeah. Really? It's the, it's the crazy. It could be the... Smallest tournament of the week or the biggest tournament of the week, and it still takes me three or four holes. 
Do you find as you've, you know, grown older, more mature, are you more accepting of the, of the nervousness? Like does I, this, I'm trying to think of, uh, the best way to say this, are, are you almost l- less nervous of being nervous? Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. It, I think I know how to handle it better now. Yeah. I and mean, even coming down the stretch on a Sunday, my hands are literally shaking. Like there's times when I show them to my caddy and she's so funny. She's like, you're being ridiculous. <laughs> and, um, but yeah, it's, it's, um, I try to take maybe some sips of water, like try to mm-hmm. slow my breathing down. Cause my heart is going like 90 miles a minute. Like it's pumping so fast. So, um, but yeah, I think I just have learned to like handle them a little bit, obviously a couple years ago and I had to make a putt to, um, win the, the major, uh, the craft Nabisco, you know, I had to make like a five footer, um, on the last hole on a Sunday to win my first major. I mean, that's, that was crazy. And I, I made a really nice stroke. So it was kind of shocking that you can kind of get through all of those nerves and still make a good swing or make a good putt. <laughs> well, that was the Eagle, right? Yes. Uh-huh. Well, and I was going to ask, you know, it, it may help your nerve, like I, I think you should try to win a major without having to eagle the 72nd. I know. I've I, never I, won any know, of my tournaments. I, I'm not a professional, but I think that might help the nerves a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> not one of my wins have I just kind of coasted down the fairway where I'm like waving to the crowd and, <laughs> yeah. and taking it all in. Every one of them have like come down to the wire. Has there ever been a situation where you feel like the nerves have like totally gotten the better of you in a, in a, situ- in a, in a, in a major moment or a big tournament of any kind? Yeah, it's, it's more um, that I can think of off the top of my head quickly. Um, more like trying to make the cut even. I really? get nervous. Like, that's the weirdest thing. Like, literally, you could be in like dead last, but if you make a birdie on the last hole, you can make the cut. So, or if you're one off the cut, like one inside the cut number, you don't want to bogey the last hole. So, um, it's even like little things like that. I could be in even going into Sunday and I make the cut on the number, so I'm and still almost in dead last, and I like make one more birdie. I don't want to bogey the last hole because then I'd finish one spot higher. You know, like it's such a weird. Um, maybe it's just my brain maybe other girls are calmer than me <laughs> i find that interesting amongst players i mean as fans we don't pay that much attention to who mm-hmm. makes the cut and who doesn't if you miss a cut to us it's like okay we're, we're kind of on to the next week and whatnot but players really hate missing cuts i mean i understand mm-hmm. why but it seems to be you know a big deal like fridays getting in the in the house and making the cut seems to be a bigger deal than i would think it would be you know it's yeah kinda... this year too it's been super weird like um can't exactly remember. I know there's like two or three tournaments here recently where I've literally made the cut on the number, um, but then have shot like nine under on the weekend or, and then seven under on the weekend. Like I've had two really good days on the weekend, but I can't seem to put the first two rounds together. And I'm like, man, if I really played a four day golf tournament, I might actually have a chance to win this. Um, I think I finished maybe around the top 10, both those times when I like made the cut on the number. So it's just getting past the first two days. Even my 14th year out here, I still get super nervous and I'm just trying to make the cut. And my caddy is always like, Britt, you should be trying to win the tournament, not make the cut. So, so you've done it seven times. I know. It's, two of a major. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> it's the weirdest superstitions and golfers. And I don't know. So I know we touched on your nickname. Uh, everybody calls you Bam Bam. Does Laura still call you sign girl by chance? <laughs> Every now and again, or if we come to a situation like that, she'll tell the story again, which is really funny. Can um, you, yeah, can you, <laughs> I, I, I enjoyed reading about it. <laughs> yeah, so I used to do the standard bearing like every other young child uh, at a golf tournament when I was nine or 10, maybe 12, 13-ish, give or take. Um, and I had done it so many years in a row that the, um, 
caddy master let me do like let me pick whoever I wanted to do on on the standard bearing so I always wanted to pick Laura Davies and John Daly because they hit it the furthest and I loved watching the way they played and being a long hitter I just loved it um so I yeah did the standard bearing for Laura Davies and then my first year a couple years on tour I finally got a chance to talk to her and I was like hey I carried the the sign for you and she was like yeah what are you like 10 like um so yeah she always gives me crap for it but um I still need to find the photo and like bring it to her and show her because it's pretty funny well then I was gonna say in your first on your first Solheim Cup team, mm-hmm. your first singles match was against Laura then, right? Yes. Is that, okay. Yeah, and I love Laura. Like, she's such a wonderful person. And um, that match, literally, she killed me, like, five and four or something ridiculous. But I had never seen her play so good. Like, I was, like, rooting for her during yeah. the round. Like, I was not even focused on what I was doing. How many, how many Solheim Cup teams have you been on now? I think six. Is that six, right? I think yes. Okay. Uh-huh. What's what's the one that sticks out the most when you say Solheim Cup that you uh, think of? The one we came back was it two years ago now, and we were like completely losing, and then came back and won. Uh, that was, was in pretty Germany, incredible. Was that right? Yeah. Okay, Twenty fifteen. Because um, yeah. was the year before we had lost, and you never want to be on a losing Solheim Cup team. Like the party that night just is awful. <laughs> You still like celebrate, but kind yeah, of it's not. Like a, it's more like a wake. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so obviously winning uh, is way more exciting. And actually the European players' uh, parties are win or lose are way better than ours. So we would normally end up at their party. So. That's the same for the men. Yeah. Right? Okay. So that tends to be yeah the case across. I think uh, Jamie Donaldson's still a bit drunk from yeah. the one in 2014 from, from what we heard. Uh, who, is the, who is the most fun Solheim Cup partner you've had over the years? Uh, I'm asking you to pick a favorite. I know, man. Hope the other girls aren't listening. Um, <laughs> Brittany Lang and I, I mean, she's been a friend for so many years. I mean, we just kind of mesh well together on the golf course. We have kind of similar games, you know, I, and we're good friends. So I love playing with her and uh, we've done pretty well the last couple of years. So hopefully if we both make, both make the team again, we can keep it going. The killer bees. We do have a beef to push with, uh, to pick with you. Is it yeah. time? I think it's time. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> so should we get... We were a little dis- I was a little disappointed, Brittany, with your reaction to the push carts. Oh. We are the uh, we we like to call ourselves the push cart mafia. Oh golly. We are big proponents of the push cart, and we've uh, we've we've been fighting a fight for many years now, and getting people to use them and see the benefits of them. So we're gonna it's have not to, going well. We're gonna have to ask you to to explain yourself. It is going well. I it feel is. like it's I I don't know. We've lost some battles, but I feel like we're winning the war. Yeah. Gotcha. I don't know. I never used a push cart when I was younger, so. I mean, this little stand bag is not that heavy. Like you haven't experienced the joys of it. See, you can't. You <laughs> I guess don't you knock can put your beer in like a little holder and then push it, and you have to set it on the ground and then pick it up. It's and... <laughs> great. You got yeah, some compartments. There's like a cup holder. There, you know, it's it's. I love it. I swear by it. <laughs> Do you put the umbrella in it to keep over you too? I never have, but I would. <laughs> I, I absolutely would. I haven't gotten that far. No, it's it's. Uh, it's I feel like everyone's always picking on people that that do it, and that, that if you haven't tried, it's like all right. Most people that make fun of people that use push carts use golf carts yeah. and don't actually get out there and walk. If it gets sure. more people walking, and, and that's that what they good. use in the UK, and that's like yeah. I, we, I played a bunch in the UK last summer, and just everyone uses one every round and yeah. got used to it. And you, I got bad shoulders, like lifting the bag seventy. <laughs> I was gonna say times. my lower back is, you know, it's just you know, it, it, it takes some stress. I can definitely that. see the the perks of it too. Getting out and actually getting some exercise and not riding in the golf cart is probably a huge benefit. All right. Uh, we'll we'll accept that. I yeah, guess. I guess. I mean, we'll let it slide. But uh, that wasn't that bad. You you got a little nervous there. Your nerves. I did. Your nerves. I, I, she was like, like "Where are they going with this?" Yeah. <laughs> 
I think we'll probably release this during the the week where you play the the Barbasol. So oh, we're looking forward to looking forward to watching you there and tracking along. And yeah. uh, thanks for dropping in during a major week. I know these are crazy weeks for you guys. So uh, thank you so much and best of luck this week. Yeah, thank you so much yeah, for having me. Thank, thank, thank you. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most! Expect any 